You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Morning, everybody. How are we doing? Another wet and rainy day. My goodness, it is crazy. My wife and I both found it hard to sleep, wondering how much damage was happening to the church with all that water coming down last night. Well, welcome to Church in Wet Day, and welcome everybody online, dry and comfortable in your homes. Hey, before we get into the parable for today, which I'm excited about, it's pretty different. You might be thinking, what on earth do we take from this? Um, I want to spend 30 seconds talking about this again, the Melrose Fund. This is the last week we're going to be talking about it. I know it's been a short campaign that's been on purpose. We wanted to squeeze it in before Easter. In one week's time, we will be announcing the total of what we've raised. Right now, we have raised $15,400. So thank you so much for those of you who have already given. Yeah, come on. That's right. (laughs) Thank you if you've already given. But we are still $20,000 away from reaching our first goal, which is completing the playground. The total of that's going to cost $35,000. Remember, we've already got a government grant for thirty dollars Rental income set aside of twenty dollars We need another thirty-five dollars to complete the playground. We're currently twenty dollars away from that happening. I know we can do it. We have one week to do it. So if, if you are planning to give, this is the week. Hopefully you got a letter in the mail from me giving you a bit more detail. If you didn't and you want more detail, please come and talk to me. But this is the last week. I, I'm looking forward to a frenzy of activity when it comes to giving this week. I reckon we can get to the 20 grand. I've got faith. Our stretch goal is 70 to do some more work in here. Hey, maybe we can do that too. That'd be 55,000. So if you're thinking of being generous, now is the time. All right, enough about that. So thank you for listening. Melrose Fund, I'm excited. Next week, we announce what we have raised. All right, so let's move on to our message for this morning. We are nearing the end of our storyteller series, that is, looking at Jesus' teaching on the parables. And we encounter an unusual one today, the parable of the shrewd manager, which is why I was drawn to it. I was drawn to teach on it because I didn't really understand it. I didn't really, what, what is Jesus trying to teach us in this parable? And so I was drawn to it. So I'm excited about figuring it out as I teach uh, this morning. Now, let's just have, ask the question again before we dive in today. Why parables? Why parables? This, this is the reason I think Jesus teaches them. This is the reason we want to listen to them. They are stories for the spiritually hard of hearing. Right? That's you and that's me often. Jesus spent so much time teaching on parables. Here's the reason. Because the kingdom of God's really hard to understand. It's really hard to put it into practice. It is. Up is down, rich is poor, greatness is weakness. These are concepts so unfamiliar to our culture, almost incomprehensible to our culture at large. So therefore, if you're anything like me, we need more than just facts on a page, right? We need more than a text, we need something else that, that gets past our, under our skin, past our sort of carefully constructed guards, that gets down into our hearts. And these stories that seem kind of innocent, they do just that. We hear them, oh, that sounds kind of nice, and we chew on them, and they irritate us, hopefully interchanging, connecting the timeless truths of the gospel with everyday life. Now, today we meet someone in, it couldn't be more of an everyday life kind of setting, work, someone in middle management, Someone dealing with their boss, dealing with customers. I've got you right back in the working week. Thanks, Dave. Now, 
except that this person is in a crisis, right? They are, that's what the first few verses are about. They're in a crisis, and we're going to look at what that is in a moment. Now, today, all of that to say, okay, today, in the context of all of this, we're talking about money. We are looking at the theme, the topic of money today. You might be thinking, aha, Dave, you shrewd guy. You're asking for money. You're opening up the Bible and teaching on money. You shrewd manager. Oh, dear. Well, yeah, you got me. This wasn't unplanned. Okay, this wasn't unplanned. But let me put this to you. Shouldn't we be connecting what the Bible says to what the church is asking you to do? Shouldn't we be doing that? And if we can't do that, you should have a right to be suspicious, yeah? We should be opening up the Bible. What does the Bible, what does Jesus have to say on money? If we can't do that, you should be suspicious. Now, if you're new at a church, right, or you maybe have come back to church after a little while, you're a bit new, you might be thinking, oh, man, I knew it. You guys lead with the love and the grace and the forgiveness, but I knew it. All you really want is my money. Well, let me just assure you, friend, God doesn't need your money. Okay? God doesn't need your money. Phew, it's our relief. Maybe. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. It's way more intense. I'm sorry. <laughs> if only with that easy. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. He wants all of you. And as we're going to see throughout the whole message today, our attitude to money, it's a spiritual barometer, right? It's a test. Money flows effortlessly. Sorry, I knew I was going to stuff that word up. Money flows effortlessly to that which is your God. Right? Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we do with our money, it just shows us where our heart is. Now, even if you're a Christian today, I think this message is for us, absolutely. And here's the reason, it's to unclog our ears. Because if you're anything like me, when this topic comes up, I'm no different, you think, I've heard it. I've heard this before, but maybe we haven't heard it. We've heard it, but we haven't put it into practice. The easiest thing we can do when it comes to hearing about the topic of money is nod our head and clench our fists. Easy, right? Yeah, yep. Yes, Pastor Dave, yeah. <laughs> and then... So this message is to unclog our ears today. You know, Jesus talked about money more than any other ethical issue. So for him, it matters how we view and use money. We've got to talk about it, don't we? We can't be afraid of it. I've talked to people, you know, what are you preaching on this week? Money, oh, good luck with that. Why should we be afraid to talk about it? It's, it's pervasive it's in every part of our lives. How, as Christians, should we view money? We've got to talk about it. We've got to talk about it. What does Jesus want from us when it comes to our money? Does he just want us to retreat? Is that just easier? Is that the, the, the holiest option when it comes to money? Just retreat. The monks have got something right. You know, let's just retreat. Let's get a, a Mossman commune happening. Okay, let's appoint someone else to deal with our money and let's put collective. Is that what? No, that's funny, right? How, well, you didn't laugh. It was kind of funny. But, but is, is there some ring of truth to that for you? You think that would be easier, that would be more holy, or at least try to deal with it with holy gloves on, you know, don't get ourselves too dirty, don't get too involved. I think this is the exact opposite of what Jesus teaches, particularly in this parable today, right? It can't be what Jesus teaches when it comes to money. This parable, it's why I want to teach on it today, it doesn't teach that. Jesus says not, get that dirty money out of your hands, 
but take that money into your hands and do something good with it. Okay, that's what we're going to look at. Because the way we live is considered right, not if we use money, but how. So this parable can teach us about how we can use money. There is a good way. What is it? Well, let's discover it together. We're going to look at three things in the passage. We're going to look at the crisis in the first few verses. Then we're going to look at the plan that the manager makes. And then we're going to look at the master's response and figure out what that means for us, okay? So we're going to look at the crisis. We're going to look at the plan. Then we're going to look at the master's response. What can we learn? Ready? Let's dive into this really quite unusual parable. It starts by meeting one of the characters. We meet a rich man, another rich man. Two weeks ago, we met a rich man. Today, we meet another one. He's so rich, he's got someone to do his business for him. That sounds nice. Someone who has a business manager to take care of the rich man's affairs. And immediately, we're told this guy's in a crisis. Immediately, we're told he's in a crisis. He's been accused of wasting the master's possessions. And so he's called into the master to deal with the consequences of this. It says to give an account. Now, I don't know, I like details. I'm not a super detailer in person, but I like knowing lots about a story. And it's a bit frustrating. We're not given heaps of detail. Right? We, what happened? Like, what, what does it mean he was wasting his master's possessions? Is he actually guilty? I feel like that's kind of a bit ambiguous at the beginning. We're just not really told what he was accused of exactly. I think that's the point. Jesus knows we can be distracted by detail. It's not important here. The important point in the first part of this parable is this. This man is in a crisis. We're meant to feel the weight of how significant that is. Now, what is he actually accused of? Big picture, wasting the man's possessions. Now, why is that important for us today? I think this first section is a wake-up call for you and I. It's a wake-up call for people who follow Jesus people who have given their life to God, people who understand their life is not their own, they were bought with a price, they understand their life is a gift, it's a wake-up call for us. You see, the parable is about money, of course. It is about money, but it's about so much more than that. It's about how we view and use our entire lives. See, this man wasted what was entrusted to him, yeah? And now he's got to give an account. Now, if it was his money, he wouldn't have to give an account, would he? If he wastes his own money, who cares? That's his problem. But he's accountable because he's wasted what the master gave him and trusted to him. It wasn't his. You could say this man at this point has squandered his life. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, you know that your life is not your own. God made you. Christ redeemed your life. You've been set free into the kingdom of God and you were bought with a price. We have a new king. We bow our knee to him. Everything we have is his, right? We give an account. Why? Because our life is not our own. Friends, this is here to wake us up to some kind of reality beyond our everyday life. The most valuable possession that we have is our life, our today. And we are stewards of this. I mean, what is more painful? What is more sorrowful than a wasted life? And that's what Jesus is saying there is a purpose for our lives that is bigger and greater than our own amusement and our own appetites. See, I don't think we should talk about money in isolation, you know, how we steward our money in isolation, but within the context of our entire selves in light of the cross. 
because it's not true that we can spend our lives, our money, our time, how we want, because it's not ours. About, uh, I think it was probably 11, 12 years ago, I was was in a band living in the States, and we had a bit of writer's block trying to write what ended up being our final album. And uh, we took a break from going to the studio, and we went and played on this conference. And this guy spoke at the conference, who later became a a mentor to the band, and particularly myself, and he spoke on a great topic, chase what matters. And it really had a profound impact on every one of us in the band, and particularly this one verse. We came away just reflecting on that, and we ended up writing so many of the songs on that album based on it. Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that I might gain a heart of wisdom. Now, what does that mean? It might sound a bit morbid. It's the exact opposite. It means take stock of your life. It is the most precious thing we have. It's not morbid, friends. It's a gift, right? It's not condemnation. It's a message of grace. You see, we need these reminders to exercise faith in what we can't see, the eternal. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. To know your days are numbered is a gift. To view our life through the lens of eternity, to understand that our life is a gift from God. We are created and redeemed. It leads us to view things in this life the way God does. Now, the final verse, or one of the final verses in our passage today says, what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. To teach us to number our days, to know that is to have the same view as God. It's about so much more than our money. Now, in the crisis of this man losing his job, what happens? It leads him to change his action. Repentance might be too strong a word, one commentator used, but, but it leads him to change and live his life differently. Let's keep, keep looking. What happens? What does he do? Let's look at his plan. He makes a strange plan. He approaches his master's customers that owe him money, and there's a real urgency here. Clock's ticking. The manager has his job, but not for much longer. The email hasn't been sent. It hasn't been communicated yet. So he's, he's still got the manager's possession. He's still got this, this um, position of authority. How's he going to use it? The manager knows his old life's going to end. Consequences are real. There's no job keeper. There's no Centrelink. He says to himself, I can't dig. I'm too ashamed to beg. I'm in big trouble unless. What does he do? It's a strange thing. He drastically goes up to the debtors and drastically reduces the amount they owe. You owe $100,000? Sit down, change it, and make it $45,000. You owe $120,000? Sit down and make it $80,000. I wish it were that easy to change our invoices and our bills. Man, it's so strange. Is he ripping off his boss? What's he doing? Let's think about where he is for a second. Highly relational culture. Everybody knows each other. It's probably small kind of village. What's he doing? He's ingratiating himself with these people in a culture where relationship was everything. He's making sure that really soon when he's done with this job, when he's fired, He's got somewhere to go. He needs to find a different kind of future. Here's what he's doing. Ready? He's spending someone else's money to secure his future so he would have a home. That's what he's doing. It's a weird plan, isn't it? And it seems pretty unethical. It is. It is unethical. 
We're not meant to copy what he did, okay? We're listening intently. Dave just gave me permission to do, no. We're not meant to copy what he did. Jesus isn't condoning what he did with his master's money. He's commending the way he viewed money. Stay with me. Let's look at the master's response. Now, how did he respond? Pretty strange. What does he do? He commends. He commends what? His dishonesty? No, his shrewdness. The boss says to the employee, you got me. Good one. You got me. Why weren't you this smart and this cunning when you were working for me? See, the master can't go back to his customers and say, um, <laughs> the business manager was joking. Um, I don't, he didn't have my permission. I don't know why he did that. Actually, rechange your invoice back to what you owe me. In a culture that was all honor and shame, you can't do that. He couldn't do it. The, the, guy, the, the debtors who had been freed, probably the word was already getting out about how generous is this guy? What an amazing benefactor, you know? The Twitters are going up, everyone's saying, You're a, like, that's what's happening. So he can't afford to lose face. So he says, you got me. Well done. He commends his shrewdness. Now I'm, I'm trying to think, how would I illustrate this? Imagine... Imagine if I said today, hey guys, you remember how I said there was a 20,000 gap between us and the playground? Well, so-and-so today has just agreed to pay that all by themselves. A huge round of applause for them, right? Imagine if I did that. And I was wondering, who should I say? No, I won't pick it anyway. But imagine if I did that. Now, they have a choice. Not, they could get up and say, Dave is an absolute liar. We never had that discussion. Or that person could just nod and smile and go, what do I do now? Don't want to lose. If I say, oh, look at the generosity of this person. Afterwards, they come up to me after the service and go, Dave, you dog, that was shrewd, but I'll do it. Now, that is wrong. I'm not going to do that. Totally unethical. Not condoning that, although I was tempted. No, I'm kidding. But that's what's happening, right? The manager has the master in a corner. You got me. And he commends him for his shrewdness. Okay, so what? Weird. Why does the Bible teach on this? What do we take from it? Keep going. Verse 8, what does Jesus say? The master commended the dishonest manager, we've seen that, because he acted shrewdly. I've seen that. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Look how shrewd this person of the world was, someone who doesn't care about God, doesn't care about loving him and loving our neighbor. Look at how he used money, how he used his wisdom to secure a future for himself. Here's the key. If you haven't been listening so far, please listen to this. Here we are. Here's the key and how we think about this. How much more then should this be true for the people of the light? The dishonest manager was trying to secure an earthly future for himself. The children of the light, how much more should we use money to secure a heavenly future for ourselves? Now, what does that mean? Verse 9, what does Jesus say? I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So, it's a long way from, don't touch money, it's dirty, it's evil, don't get involved. It's a long way from that. It's this, use everything you got, use all the smarts God has given you, use all the entrepreneurial skill, use all the gifts you have, use all your, your ninja budgeting Excel goodness, Use it all to make your money work. But not for your earthly future, for your eternal future. 
Now, of course, that doesn't mean we don't financially plan for our future, right? If we don't, then that's often somebody else's responsibility and burden. It's not what I'm saying, okay? Of course, superannuation, savings, all that kind of stuff, right? But if we only ever plan for those things, we're wasting the life God has given us. I think that's what this parable is teaching us today. Now, let me give this illustration. Imagine, imagine you have a home and you spend an incredible amount of time, energy and savings renovating this home. Now, I know lots of us have, we have renovated. I know I'm not condemning that. It's a good thing. But imagine you spent all you had, all the energy, all the capital you had in renovating this thing and you lived in it for 10 days. Not just to flip it. Your intention was to live in, that was going to be your forever home. Struggle with that term, forever home. This is going to be your forever home. Imagine that. You, you invested everything you had in this thing. You lived in it for 10 days. How would you feel? Now, again, there's nothing wrong with renovating homes, of course, but it's an illustration to make the point, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to work so hard, invest so much into something so short-term. Teach me to number my days. Why? So my heart can be full of wisdom. Invest in the eternal. See, this man, this dishonest manager, he knew it. He was a scoundrel, but he knew it. He knew relationships were more important than capital. So he used capital to get relationship. He knew it. How much more should followers of Jesus know and live that? Therefore, use your money investing into the eternal, the kingdom of God. Even this building, okay? This building is not eternal. We were confronted with that very fact yesterday with the ceiling caving in. It's not eternal. But friends, it's what it represents. We use these things to serve the reasons we exist. Telling people about the good news of Jesus. And may the Melrose Fund updates do exactly that. You see, when this dishonest manager, the shrewd manager, when he hit a crisis, what was really important became clear. You know, when, you hit a, when you hit a crisis in your life, and if you have, you know that. Very important things become crystal clear and everything else just kind of fades away is irrelevant. Confronting. At the end of their lives, no one says, I wish I had a bigger pile of money. No one says it. I wish I had a bigger boat. I wish I had a bigger house. Especially if there's no one to enjoy them with. It's become emptier the bigger they are. We know that. I'll be closing in a moment. Now, Jesus, on the night before his death, he spoke to his disciples about something so intensely relational. He spoke about the imagery of vines and branches in John 15, representing what life is supposed to be. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me. A relationship with God and each other is what counts. Friends, it's the only thing that lasts. What will last forever when everything else is burnt away? This is what Jesus means when he talks about true riches. Think about this. You cannot buy your way into heaven, but there is a way you can use money that brings heaven to earth. Let me just say that again. I worked on that all week, so I'm going to say it twice. Okay. No. You can't buy your way into heaven, but there is a way you can use money that brings heaven to earth. What an exciting opportunity 
the entrepreneurs of the gospel. Use money. Don't let it use you. Oh, wouldn't that be a mistake? Invest in the eternal on earth, which is what? Let's get real practical here at the end. So what does that mean? Okay, sounds great, Dave. True riches, invest in the kingdom of God. What does it mean? It means people, and it means Jesus. It means people and connecting people with Jesus. That's what I think it means. I'm looking forward to discussion in midweek groups because this is discussion-worthy. And come and chat to me if you've got any problem with this. I'd love to talk about it. But I think, what does it mean to invest in the kingdom of God? It means people, and it means investing in people meeting the word of God, Jesus. See, Jesus said in the later part of the passage here, you can't serve God and money. You can't do it. You can't use everything you have to pursue money for selfish ends and do the same for the kingdom of God. You can't do both things at the same time. You can't do it. You can't serve two masters. So how do we do it? Pursuing the kingdom of God. I think two ways. First, give our money to the poor. I feel like I could just say that. I don't feel like I need to give an argument for that. There is a sense in which giving our money to the poor is our heavenly superannuation. If relationships is what lasts, combining that with Jesus' great amount of teaching on serving on the poor and his, the way he demonstrates this in his own life and his own ministry, it's pretty clear. Giving out of the abundance of what we have to people in need, giving our money to the poor. Let me say this. If none of our money, not nothing, goes to those less fortunate, then what does that say about our hearts? Like I said before, what we do with our money, it's a spiritual barometer. It's just an indicator of what's really going on here. So first, what does it mean to invest in the kingdom of God? Giving to those less fortunate. What else? Second, I think it's giving your money to ministry. Now, of course, you're going to think, Dave, of course you're going to say that. Your salary depends on it, right? But what does Jesus say? Let's talk about this openly. Invest in true riches. What is more rich than a relationship with the king of the universe? What is more rich than introducing someone to Jesus for the first time? Nothing. What's, what's richer than growing in our love and our knowledge of our great God? And what has Jesus set up on earth primarily that does just this? It's the church. Of course, there are other great organizations out there, great NGOs great, that we give to, that we love and support, that this church gives to. Give to them too. Be generous. Like I said, what we do with our money is a test of our spiritual maturity. God doesn't need your money wants your heart. Let me ask you this, while we're getting uncomfortable. Could you characterize your giving to God and his work more like tipping or tithing? Is it, how does that characterize the way that you give? Is it more like, when I can, sure, thanks God, here's a tip. Here's a little bit in the plate, or here's, it's erratic, and kind of when I can, when I remember, oh gosh, yeah, I better. Does that characterize the way that you, or is it thought out, sit down, wow, what's, what can, how can we be generous? That's not generous, that's just, tipping is just when you remember, when I can. Tithing, 
That's the concept, right? This, this concept you've probably heard before of giving 10% of what you, you earn to the, the work of the gospel. I'm not saying it has to be 10%. It can be much more. It can be less depending on circumstances. But it, it's a thought out, sit down. What we, I remember Pip and I, we used to give kind of, it was a bit more like tipping when we remembered. But we were really convicted after I think we went to a conference or we heard, heard a sermon. We're like, we're going to sit down early, early on in a marriage and what does it really mean to give first fruits sacrificially so we don't even think about it? Let me tell you, the reason we often feel so guilty about what we give and how we give is because it's not thought out. The only reason you could, we had someone uh, knock on our door for an organization that we already give to, and I could have felt guilty. Why would I have felt guilty saying, I'm sorry, you know, I, I, I'm not, I can't give today? Because I would have thought, oh gosh, well, I don't really give. But I was able to say, hey, I love what you're doing. God bless you out there in the rain. We, we already give and we're already kind of tapped out with where we give to different things. You can only say that if you have a plan, right? You can only say that if you have a plan of giving. If you think more about giving to God in terms of tithing, tipping. Okay. This shows us what we're pursuing. Amen. And here's the thing. Jesus came to free us from how so many people in this world think about money, from worshipping money, spending money on ourselves and our pursuits. It's not freedom. It may look like freedom. It's not. It's slavery. Now, how do we do this? I think it would be impossible if we didn't have something bigger to take its place. Jesus Christ came to be and to do just that. Jesus talked about money all the time. Here's why. Because he knows it has spiritual power. It's easy to think it can give us what only God can. We think it can secure us a future. We think it gives us security. We think it gives us value. The only way you're going to be convinced it's not if, if, if it's all taken away, which can happen and will happen at the end of all things, or if there's something bigger, there's a bigger love, if there's a greater future, a greater security, and a greater value. And friends, let me remind you, let me remind me, let me remind us that that is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus came to give us security bigger than any superannuation portfolio. Jesus came to give us a future full of more joy and more purpose than anything we could purchase online. Jesus came to show us we are more valuable to him than anything. He came to show us that in him we have immense worth and value. And if you doubt that, all you need to do is look at the cross. The cross shows us what Jesus was willing to do to bring his children home. Give them a future. And for them to know, for us to know we're loved beyond any shadow of a doubt. Well, with this in our hearts, of course, we can use money to invest in true riches. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you bless us with. We want to be good stewards. We want to think about how we can use our money, not for our earthly good but actually for ours and other people's eternal good. It's not easy. We know this is a hard issue. But Lord Jesus, work our hearts. Change us from the inside out. Jesus, pray. Amen.